0: And uh, I believe that with my whole heart. Have you ever been somewhere, not that moment, but another moment, in which you felt wholly and completely unqualified for what you were going through? And you almost had the question like, are you serious? I, you're entrusting me with this. Um, for me, I've had several of those moments, but I have decided on the sharing the one that I want to share with you. Uh, many of you will resonate with, and some of you will not yet have had that experience in life. And so, uh, if you have not yet had the experience of leaving the hospital with your baby for the very first time, <laughs> think of another experience in which you felt wholly unqualified. But on the third day, right, he was risen. And also, you're given a baby and escorted out of the hospital. And on the third day, Jenny is standing on the curb, holding Hadley. I am pulling up in our Honda. Yeah, I'm pulling up in our Accord, and we are leaving the hospital with this baby. And as we, as we snap her into the car seat carrier thing, Um, base, thank you. I did not know what I was doing, obviously. As we put the baby in the base and we leave, I remember Jenny saying, is this, like we just go? (laughs) Is this this it? Is someone going to meet us? And, and And I'm thinking, help, dad, mom, what do we do? Oh, you ever been? Some of you have been in that exact moment, um, and others have been in other moments where it was like, oh man, like, am I enough for this? Am, is this baby gonna die on my care? Because do I know what I'm doing? Am... And, these situations, they, uh, create in us an, uh, an anxiety, um, An anxiety of enoughness, you know? Am I enough? Are we qualified for the dreams and desires in which we desperately want? We can name what we want in life, but am I actually qualified to do it? Am I qualified even for the desires of my faith? I know what my heart longs for. I know the God in which I want to, but am I good enough To reside in God's care. I think it's a question about resumes, right? Do we have the right resume to leave this hospital with Hadley? What in the world have I done with my life to prove to the world that I can actually be a parent? Nothing. I had done nothing. um, Except one thing, but we don't need to talk about the one thing that qualified me to be a parent. Okay. Moving right along. We might. It was low-hanging fruit. Um. Well, I think the question and uh, Carson, there we go. Awesome. I think the question, uh, I think the question that invokes anxiety in us is, how do I accomplish what I want to do? It's the question of how? How do I do this? How do I parent? How do I make sure this baby does not die on my watch? How do I climb into the hands of God and rest in God's mercy? How do I do that? How do I teach Sunday school? You know, like Sunday school, good idea, but how do I actually do that? How do I pastor? How do I show up on Monday as the light of Christ in my workplace? I want to do that. I acknowledge, yes, let's do that. How do I do that? And I think it's an anxiety-ridden question. When we ask, how do I accomplish what God has asked me to do? How do I know I am doing God's will? How many of us have asked that question? How do I live the way that a Christian should to accomplish what I think a Christian should do? Who am I to do this? Well, that's an anxious question about qualification. What? What am I to do? Well, that's an anxious question about doing the right thing. How? How am I to do it? Well, that's an anxious question about gifts and talents. In other words, am I good enough? Am I able enough? Am I talented enough? We might be in love with God's commands or intrigued by God's commands. We might be in love with Jesus or we may be intrigued by Jesus. But when the performance of God's commands takes priority, over communion with the one who gives the command, it always leads to anxiety over qualifications. I think in search of the relationship with God that God desires, we must reverse the order of that question. Instead of how... How do I do what God has asked me to do? I think we need to start first with what would this holy God have me to do? From asking how, what, who, to asking who, what, and how. Go over that one more time, Art. English grammar does not allow me to put who first in this sentence. But the who comes first here. What would this holy God have me to do? This puts the emphasis on who, what, and then how. The pursuit of God, as we will see in the story of Jeremiah, begins with a call. This is what actually vocation means. The pursuit begins with a call that comes as an invitation from God. So vocation. Calling the very what, it comes from somewhere, and that somewhere is not you. It comes from elsewhere. I'm not going to preach yet, but I'm getting close. God is the one that invites us into his presence, into his relationship. From whom does that call come from? It comes from the Holy Heavenly Father. So we have to ask ourselves, who is calling and what is the character of the caller? Then we get to ask, what is the caller asking me to do? And then, third, in trusting that the caller will equip us with the tools to accomplish the mission, this is. This is the journey intention that we see in the calling of the prophet Jeremiah. So our story for today will have us in Jeremiah 1, verses 5 through 10. And I would ask, after you find your place there, that you would stand with me for the reading of the word this morning. Here a reading from Jeremiah Now the word of the Lord came to me saying Before I formed you in the womb I knew you and before you were born I consecrated you I appointed you a prophet to the nations Then I said Ah Lord God truly I do not know how to speak for I am only a boy But the Lord said to me Do not say I am only a boy For you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, you may be seated. So I think the question that we're all asking is a question well represented in this passage. The story of Jeremiah's calling could be really of anyone in the entire uh, scope of Scripture. You think of Sarai, and you think of Abram, right? What were they questioning? The qualifications of their age. I am too old to have the baby that you promised. Moses. He stuttered his speech, and so Moses questioned God. No, you surely can't be calling me to go to Pharaoh. Have you not heard me talk? Peter. In the New Testament, wondering if he was good enough to follow after Jesus. Then there was Zacchaeus. You want to come to my house? Haven't you seen my resume? Don't you know who I am? You want to come to my house, Zacchaeus asked. And Elizabeth and Zechariah, of course, pregnant with John the Baptist. Really? In my womb, you have called us to have John the Baptist? Really, every character in the entire New Testament is someone questioning if they are actually qualified (laughs) to be the one who carries the message of Christ. You see, the power of the one who calls, and I want us to know this, the power of the one who calls empowers the one called, every time. The power of the one who calls empowers the one called, despite ability or circumstances. No one is better suited for God's call than any other. We are all one, no matter our age, no matter our gender, no matter our race or nationality. And I want to back up on that because, ooh, I cannot be more clear, especially as a minister of the gospel in the Church of the Nazarene, there is now no gender that disqualifies you from being called to the ministry of God's gospel. Hmm. <laughs> There's no age. There's no one too old here. I'm hearing that a lot from the above 60 crowd. When I go to minister's retreats and even when I go home, my father is above 60. I'm hearing a lot. I'm really too old to be used. I've used up all my talent. Now, I I don't know. Maybe you'll find encouragement in Rex Perry's story. Rex is slightly above 60. I think 60 in in one day, right? (laughs) Slightly above 60. And he sat, I sat with him in his living room this summer. And he said, oh, man, I think I'm too old for this. But I'm telling you, as sure as the light is a day outside, I'm telling you, I think God is asking me to serve on staff somewhere. You are never, even if you're 60 and one day old like Rex here, you're never too old. You, Grace, are never too Young, ever. You are never not male enough, praise be to God. You are never not white enough, praise be to God. You are never not American enough, praise be to God. What I'm saying is that God knows no nationality. God knows no gender. God knows no age. What God knows is the child in which he created, and God moves with such force To show you that he loves you, God moves to you, God is not waiting for you to somehow magically change your gender, change your age, or change your race. God moves to you and qualifies you and chooses you before you have the right or the ability to show by behavior or appearance that you're qualified. So what are we dealing with here? We're not dealing with who is called. In the Jeremiah story, we're not dealing with who is called. We're dealing with the one who does the calling. So the question that God enables us to ask is, what would this holy God have me to do? It's a question that moves us. It moves us from how do I do this? Well, what will I do to who was it that asked me to do this anyway? To who? The nature of the one who does the calling. And then what does the one who calls us ask us to do and to how we should do it? So let's start. I want to go over each three of those with you. I want to go over the who, the what, and the how. So who is this holy God? In verse 4 and 5, We see that the one who calls Jeremiah claims that he knows him from before the time that Jeremiah was born. Our understanding of what God is asking us to do must begin with who God reveals himself to be. The mission of the kingdom of God is saturated. It's initiated and it's activated within the character of God. You might remember, if you were with us two weeks ago, that the character of God is one. It's diverse, and it's delight. In Deuteronomy 6.4, that's the Shemam. Some of you are familiar. If you're not familiar, this is the pinnacle scripture of Israelite uh, conviction and worship. This is it. There is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Lord is one. One God, bringing all of the world unto himself, reconciling and bringing us into unity. This is not the same, Kelsey, I see you sitting there. I know you're what you're thinking. You're thinking right now, you're thinking... Conformity. Does unity mean conformity? That God brings us in, and and the one place that God brings us only has one nation, only has one language, only has one ethic. And so to be Christian is to look whitewashed, just like everybody else. Conformity. That's Christianity. That's what we mean by unity. No! No, it is not. Just had to be clear about that in case case someone... Confuse my words. It's happened before. Um, no, 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 unity. Unity is the corp- corporate nature of God and God's love manifested and shared to all, and it celebrates diversity. God's kingdom is diverse. We see that in the gifts that Paul lists for us in First Corinthians chapter 12, that there are many different expressions to the unity of God's family. Man, praise be to God, Shane, that when we get to heaven, it is going to be more radically diverse than what I would even be able to give language to and adequately express in this moment. There will be all kinds there. And what will unify us? The love, the blood, the redemption, the resurrection, the restoration. Christ Jesus will be calling us from all kinds of life, from all sides. Remember, it's not us who qualifies ourselves to be there at heaven. It is God's call. And who God calls, I am not qualified to tell you who will be there. I just know God's love will make it possible and it will be diverse. And what will we do when we're in heaven? Well, the character of God is it rejoices our hearts. Psalm 19, 8, the love of God, the character of God, the unity of God, the conviction of his love delights our hearts. So who is the one who calls you? Oh, this is so important, Gene. The one who calls you is unifying you. So let's ask ourselves right now, are you doing God's will? I don't know. Are you doing things that are unified? Because the character of God will not call you to do something that is anything less than the unity in God's mission and love and character. So, discern. Is the thing that you think that God is asking you to do? Is it unifying? Is what God is asking you, uh, rejoice in the diversity of God's kingdom or does it divide God's kingdom? Great questions for discernment. Is the God that is calling you, is that God delighting in you? Or is that God angry at you? Is that God forcing you to sell everything you own and move to some far off country because that's what you get for following the cross? What? Is God calling you to do who is calling you? Is this God loving? Is this God kind? Is this God patient? Is this God generous? Is this God diverse? Is this God unifying? Go on and on. The mission of the kingdom of God, well, it begins with the character of God moving to initiate the type of world he intended to create. If you want to know what type of world that is, read Genesis 1 and 2. That's the type of world God moves to call and to initiate that we would participate in God's restoration of his creation. There is no amount of excuses or prior history that can prevent God from activating God's plan. In other words, Taney, you cannot undo God's promise back up, reverse it. <laughs> you cannot undo God's promise. You cannot undo God's promise. What I mean by that is your behavior cannot undo God's promise. Your choices cannot undo God's promise. Who you are with cannot do, undo God's promise. Somehow your harani Erroneous and heinous behavior, it cannot undo God's promise. No matter where you've been, no matter where you will go, there's one thing that you have zero power to control, and that is the character of God. The character of God will always be one, diverse, and rejoicing. God's character will always be love mercy, and grace. God's character will always be covenant to a thousand generations, Israel. I will keep my promise with you. Hear what I'm saying, right? The other points are going to come fast. Trust me on that one. But friends, we cannot move forward with any discussion. Of what we are to do, whether that's as a small group, a Sunday school class, a church, a family, your job, whatever it might be. How to raise your kids. We cannot move forward with deciding what God wants us to do until we have nailed down who the character of this God is. Too often, we move quick to saying, God's given me a word. And we're speaking on behalf of an imaginary father. One who hates So important, I had in my mind our our brother from Topeka. I think his first name is Fred. He protests funerals and stuff. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay, you do know who I'm talking about. That's who I had in mind. If we don't nail down the character of God and who God is, and we immediately assign ourselves to our appointment. Too often we go for commissioning ourselves to talk about what we think and who we think God is. That, friends, is dangerous. It is important that we understand that God does not change because we are sinners. That God does not change because we have sinned. That God continues to stand before us and to woo us and to call us into his plan. This doctrine in our theology is called prevenient grace. God goes before us with immeasurable grace because that's his character. And he calls and he calls. And when we, like Jeremiah, say, no, you don't understand. I'm too young. Right? Or I'm too, name it, whatever it may be. I'm scared to go too specific here, Nate. But. I'm too far, it's a common phrase these days, I'm too far gone. You can't be. Don't you understand? This is what God has done in Christ. Even in the depths of Sheol, some will translate that hell, it's more accurately translated darkness. In the depths of darkness, God is there filling it with his presence. And with his presence is a character that calls. I've done it. I just need to move on now. The story of the gospel is God's promise coming to us, enabling us to do what we could not do on our own. So what is God asking me to do? You hear Jeremiah talk to the sovereign Lord. I think that this is an important point. Because it illustrates for us that what God's sovereignty has qualified. It cannot be undone by the limitations of human understanding. Just because you don't have the capacity to imagine that God would call you to deliver God's word in the way he wants you to deliver the gospel. Does not mean that God is not calling you to do that. God's sovereignty does not wait on our ability to conceive it. Praise be to God. And this applies. This applies to you as a parent. You might be saying, hey, how in the world do I raise this ornery kid? Praise be to God. He is not waiting for you to figure that out in the classroom before he calls you to love that kid. So What God is asking me to do? Well, God might be asking you to move mountains that you didn't think could ever move. This is why God does not ask us to start first with our intelligence, but to start first with our heart. And this is as foundational as Cain and Abel. Cain who thought he could prove his worth to God through his offering, and Abel who offered all of who he was with his heart. And God delighted in Abel, and it made Cain so jealous, because Cain couldn't give enough to prove his worth. And Abel gave little and gave all he had, and it was a delight to God. A call to speak, it can't be disqualified by a lack of eloquence. Hello, Moses. A lack of education cannot disqualify an apostle of Jesus. Hello, Peter. A call to follow Christ cannot be disqualified by a lack of morality. Hello, everyone in the New Testament. (laughs) Okay, so you're not completely lost. Okay, all right, good. A call to justice, mercy, mercy and compassionate action cannot be disqualified by political view. (laughs) Come on, y'all. That is good, okay? That's good. One more time. Three more slides. Hang with me, okay? A call to justice. God's justice. A call to mercy. God's mercy. Not your mercy, God's mercy. A call to compassionate action not the not the did I get this right? Yeah, not the left's view of compassionate action, God's view of compassionate action. It cannot be disqualified by political view. It cannot be disqualified by lack of education. It cannot be disqualified by ignorance. If God called you, God will equip you. The character of the church is determined alone by the character of God. There is no affiliation, there is no bias, no nationality that determines who the church is. There's no amount of history or excuses that can stand in the way between God's call and God's grace to equip you in accomplishing this call. So only God knows what he has called us to do. Only God knows what he has called you to do. I'm reminded this week by spending time at Conception Abbey. I love the, our Benedictine brothers and sisters very much. But in their ecclesiology of the Roman Catholic Church, up until, the, up until the Vatican Council, the Second Vatican Council of mid-19th century, 20th century, excuse me, up until that time, They only recognize one vocation. But what separates Protestants from Catholics are a few things. This is one of them. We believe all are called to the ministry of the gospel. There's very many expressions. We all carry that vocation. That's not just for priests or pastors. So in case you come from that lovely tradition, I just want to let you know that I'm assuming here a Protestant theology. And that is when I'm talking about calling this morning, what has God called you to do? I'm not talking about what I do. Maybe that's what God has called you to do, but maybe God has called you to do what Shane does, which is grief counseling, or what uh, Rochelle does, which is, uh, it's counseling. What would you say? How would you say what you, just counselor? That's what I do? Okay, counseling, yes. You may be called like my wife as a speech pathologist, or in these days, as a stay-at-home parent. This may be your calling. I just want to be clear here. I don't want to lose you on that point alone. I'm not, I'm not mining for people to come to the altar this morning expressing a call to to You know, be a pastor or something, unless that's what God is calling you to do. And I tell you what, you cannot qualify yourself or disqualify yourself for that calling. If God has called you to do it, He will equip you. Now, let's move on. Only God knows what He's called you to do. So, how do you find that out? Well, just I can't teach on this now, but know that these are important points. You must spend time in communion, in relationship with the One who calls. You must pray. You must study, and you must practice silence. These are all tough. I'm here to help you out if you want to know how do I do that that's my job I'm here to help you I would love to direct and counsel you you must pray you must study you must be silent and you must entrust your lives to the one you commune with you must surrender so how do we accomplish what the holy god has called us to do it's a matter of surrendering our lives to the spirit of god and the only thing that could deter us in this path is our decision to trust so how will I accomplish this? In Verse 9 and 10, God comes to Jeremiah and says, Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. It's a powerful call for a young man who felt he was too old and now he's going to go to these great nations that have rebelled against God and he's going to speak up to them with words. This highlights the point, the qualification for the mission of God is determined by God's calling and appointment, not by what we can see that we can do. This is by God moving and touching Jeremiah's lips. God chooses who God chooses. And God will equip his choice and make them holy. There is no quick way around this. There is no shortcut. We cannot undercut this process. We have to wait and trust that God will do What God says he will do. And what God appoints Jeremiah with is words. Did he have those words in that moment? No, he did not. He had to wait. He had to wait until God touched his lips and filled his mouth with rebuilding words and restoring words. Redeeming words and creation words rebuking words and judgment words, reconciliation words. These are not words that Jeremiah thought up on his own to please a God who had asked him to do this. These are words that God interrupted Jeremiah's story why he was yet not qualified. And God said, speak my word and touched his lips. Friends, I don't know where God is calling you now. Uh, Stephen, why don't you? But I know with my whole heart that you can trust God with all of your life, that he will not ruin you, not in the ways that you're thinking of, not in ways in which you will never experience joy ever again, (laughs) where if you were to follow God, you'll never have fun ever again. I know God is not ruining us in that way. If there's any type of death and ruining and destruction here, It's of a heart that's orbiting around a center of self. That must die. But it won't be to the detriment of joy. It won't be to the detriment of peace. Whatever it is that God might be calling you to, whether it's a reconciling work with your friend, or it's a bold proclamation at work, or it's a more faithful way of living when you're at school, or it's a leadership role within your own home, You can trust the one who is calling you. I believe with my whole heart that God is readying new beginnings for something that it will be hard for us to conceive. So I don't want to have any brainstorming sessions because I just don't think that we'll be able to conceive what God wants to do through us. I'm not hungry for your best ideas for this church. I'm hungry for God's. And I know what God wants to do through us is immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. And so we have to move into a time of which we trust all of us. Even when things aren't the way that we think they should be. Even when your pastor preaches way over his time limit. We have to trust that God is doing something with us in this unique little body. And what he's doing will be good and right and beautiful. We've seen it this past week. We've seen it in past years and past weeks. And we'll see it again. Friends, whether it's this church or your home or your workplace, what God is calling you to, I promise you, is for your good and for the flourishing of the community before us. It's all God's creation. He's working for all of it in his unified purpose to glorify it. You can trust this God. Father, we thank you and we give to you, Lord, our worship and our devotion. Jesus, you are welcome into this place. Father, I just invite your spirit, Lord, to begin to speak into our hearts, Father, to move our bodies, Lord, to response to you. No fear. God, just cast out fear in this room. No, nothing to prohibit us from entrusting all of our lives to you. Lord, do for this place All ten tenets of Chipman Commons, Lord, do for this place what you have imagined for this place. Do for these people what you have imagined for these people and reveal your character and your heart and your love for us so that we might rejoice with you and celebrate with you your goodness and your love. Jesus, we give you all of our praise.